0: Welcome to Six Count. I'm your host, Sara Wilde, bringing you the voices and stories of jazz from Durham, North Carolina. thank you so much for joining Six Count this afternoon.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: In the span of one week, you'll have gone from playing for wedding parties with The Shakedown in Durham and Pinehurst, North Carolina, to playing for Swing Dancers soon at Lindy Fest with the Rhythm Serenators in Texas. I was curious if there's one cheesy reception song that you secretly really like.
1: Oh, gosh. I like the Rick James song that we play. I like... Phil Collins. I'm I'm into it. Probably my heart is more in the earlier stuff, the sort of Motown funky kind of um Otis Redding and Mm -hmm. Temptations and that sort of thing. But I can get down on the eighties saxophone sometimes too. Yeah.
0: And does the shakedown do some of that older Motown kind of thing or just totally depends on what the bride and groom wants?
1: Uh yeah, it depends somewhat on uh the bride and groom can make requests, but We tend to kind of cover uh, several decades, and over the years we've done tribute shows to some different particular artists. We did a Sam Cooke show a few years ago, a Van Morrison show, Aretha Franklin, and we even did a Frank Sinatra show, which maybe isn't exactly in the, the normal wheelhouse of that band, but that band really is more than what most people typically expect it's got some of the most incredible musicians in the state regardless of of genre it's like there's always something very musical and interesting happening on every gig i think when you're playing in a cover band it's easy to it's possible to get stuck in kind of a rut um, and that band has never felt like that because we're always working on some new project and the musicianship is just so high
0: and my exposure to your music has been through the swing dance community, but I also don't want to pigeonhole you into that genre because in just looking at the kinds of work that you've been doing, you play blues occasionally, um, you've been working with the North Carolina Jazz Repertory Orchestra for quite a while, and then all sorts of Lindy Hop events, and then the Benny Goodman small groups thing, which is its own thing, and got the pleasure of hearing about that from Mark Wells recently mm-hmm. on Six Count. How do you kind of define the Keenan McKenzie brand and is part of that the many different subgenres you like to have your hand in.
1: I think the swing stuff is kind of a, a particular niche or specialty that I found a degree of success in. But I like all kinds of music. I didn't go to uh, school to learn swing music specifically. I got a jazz degree and then got another one. Okay. Um, <laughs> the M- and but that yeah, and that was that was maybe more focused on well a, a variety of of genres of jazz, straight ahead and and some later styles, while touching on the swing. But it wasn't specifically that. Mm-hmm. But as some people would say, it's all music, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't like to get too hung up on, on genre. Yeah.
0: And when did you fall in love with swing music? Was it all at once, an event, or did you just suddenly find yourself doing the swing dance kind of gig route?
1: I think I was always drawn to that music, probably going back to when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, the music that I was really into was early rock and roll and boogie woogie and stuff like that so i had like a little richard cassette tape that i just wore out and for whatever reason i would just really love that i remember going to a a birthday party where the all the kids were supposed to bring their own music and everybody would get to play a song the other kids had the cool songs that were on the radio and i had some (laughs) little richard song from the 50s but the parents were really nice they made they made sure everybody uh got their (laughs) song play but uh The kids weren't as into it as as I was. But I think that might have been that early rock and roll and and boogie and stuff is probably my first exposure to saxophone solos Mm. because all those songs had great rock and roll honking tenor solos. Mm -hmm. So then joined the school band in middle school. And and I think as I got into playing saxophone myself and played jazz, I think I was always drawn to the earlier sounds. Mm.
0: And what are some of the early jazz greats that you really look up to? And is there one that might surprise people if they knew the most prominent saxophonists from that era or clarinetists as well?
1: The obvious people certainly have influenced me. Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster. I feel like the more I learn about Ben Webster, the more I'm drawn to him in that, uh, I think sort of his later recordings are very lush. He was a great ballads player and people kind of have this image of how he, he plays sort of on that end of the spectrum, but he could also be gruff and growly and bluesy. And he has some great recordings with Slim and Slam. Um, obviously with, uh, Ellington, uh, his famous, Uh, solo on Cottontail Mm. is kind of like got a lot of energy. I like Chewberry. He is a a fantastic player who tragically uh, lost his life when he was still pretty young and so didn't stay around as long as some of the other um, other players. I I like them all. I like all the old great tenor players.
0: And this is a bit more of a broad question but from I guess your philosophical standpoint, do you have a more literalist or interpretivist Viewpoint when looking at some of those early solos that were definitional for the songs. And I, I've talked with past uh, guests about when the recording industry took over, how then people wanted to hear the same solos mm-hmm. to feel really good, like they're now playing the song. And I'm curious if you often try to repeat it as it was originally performed or take the spirit of the song and take it in a different direction
1: that that's a really interesting question so i think there are some songs where you kind of have to play the solo a great example is flying home mm. uh, that illinois jaquette solo he pretty much played it the same way every time it became iconic when we've played that with the jonathan stout orchestra we have a version that he and albert alva Uh, created from some live recordings that has all of the saxophones playing that solo kind of voiced out as a section. And I think there are other songs that have arrangements. I think about Artie Shaw where there are moments that are solo clarinet, but they kind of have to happen a certain way or you have to hit a certain lick for it to sound right in the arrangement. Mm. The the best form of comparison is if you can find more than one recording Mm. of the song or a live recording and then see... But I would say even the most creative and and spontaneous players still had licks and vocabulary, for sure.
0: There's so much that's been lost in jazz music because it just didn't reach the point where it's available for mass consumption. And so I'm curious in your own research or investigations where you hoped that there would be more and wish that there could be found more.
1: I guess maybe the easiest answer for that is I wish there were more... Information or recordings of essentially live performances. So we have some of that. We have radio air checks and radio broadcasts that are uh, recorded of some of, say, the swing bands or, or just a, a performance at a live venue. But compared to the studio type of recordings, there's not as much of that, but you can read about some of these bands, the music they played at dances or at concerts wasn't always fully represented in what they recorded. Some of that comes down to racism. The white bands and the black bands were sort of encouraged or required to record certain types of music by the music industry at the time. So for instance, you can read about bands like Basie or Chick Webb, you mostly hear four or four swing songs when you listen to their recordings, but they they played waltzes and all sorts of other ballroom dances when people would come to a dance. Mm-hmm. And that would be super cool to hear. And then just having those kind of going back to the earlier question, having those other points of reference to see, OK, we know this one recording, but we know that this was a song that they played many times and it probably evolved over time Mm -hmm. and over the course of years, and just having more data points to say, okay, well, this is the one version, but is that really what the song was every time? Probably not. So whenever I can find a live recording or an alternate take or something, it's just like mind blown. It's like stepping into an alternate universe. it's like, oh, this could have been the iconic Luster Young solo, Mm -hmm. instead of the one that I've transcribed and sung like a million times in my head, you know? Yeah.
0: I think of that with dancing, too, where we'll look at an archival video and it's like, this is how you do that one Lindy Hop step. But that is a clip and it could have been more spontaneous or I know there's something to be said with if a move is repeated enough such that it becomes part of the movement vernacular, that becomes its own thing. But I also think such the beauty of jazz and swing music and dancing to that is the spontaneity that that kind of music can facilitate.
1: I, I think it's probably even, it has to be even harder for for dancers, right? Because if you require the video element, there just wasn't as much of that around. You didn't have synced sound with video. And so a lot of times they're not even dancing to what you're hearing on the video. Um, so yeah, I wish for for the dance community, they had even more of that um, from back when some of those dances were being practiced. Um, all over so
0: it's a good reminder because i also can be you know self-conscious if i notice there's a videographer at a dance or um, just knowing that this might be on youtube and i wanted a private moment but if we think of perhaps history and what people will be dancing far after we're gone there's perhaps value in that too or the music that you're recording what a gift you're giving to future generations
1: i mean if if i had a time machine it's it's I would just go back and go to a bunch of concerts yeah. <laughs> and dances. I mean, when you get in the studio, right, you are trying to get a good take. And so it's a spectrum, but there is some degree of maybe taking one step back from, from risk taking or, or trying to play something that you know is going to sound good versus just... I mean, it's fun yeah. when you go for broke and take a lot of risks, but mm-hmm. if you know you're only going to get a handful of takes and you could ruin the take <laughs> three minutes into it, yeah. um, I think that was true for for bands decades ago as well, right? And so um, that's why live recordings are so cool. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a different energy.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with a big band, you can't Go completely rogue. And if the 20 other people in the band had a different idea, then <laughs> it's a consideration uh, point. But I want to also hear about an upcoming recording project that you have this summer. What would you like to share about it and where the idea came from and how people can support it?
1: My band, Keenan McKenzie and the Riffers, uh, we're planning to record a full length album in August. And this is kind of. Uh, I guess the origins of this is we were planning to do some recording. I don't know if it was going to be a full album or an EP or what, but we had a, a date on the calendar back in the fall. And then I got COVID uh, oh, no. right right before that. So we had to postpone it. Part of this came about just because we did all sorts of remote recordings through the pandemic and it was kind of time to to do more together in the studio. We did a few songs for our kind of latest little mini. It's not even a full EP. I don't know. It's not. I don't know if you'd even call it an extended play, right? It's uh, three songs (laughs) um, on Bandcamp. But we did that live in a studio. Wanted to do more of that. So it's going to be at this really cool new spot in Durham, Magnetic Sound Studios, which is run by Dave Tilley, an engineer who's a great supporter of music, really digs kind of the the style that that we play. The room is really cool, and he's got all kinds of vintage ribbon microphones and stuff, nice. so it's going to be really great for uh, that style of music. So we don't have, as of this recording, we don't have an album title yet. Um, hopefully we'll hone in on that pretty soon. That's kind of in the planning stages. We might be doing a, a crowdfunding campaign um, before too long, so if anybody wants to support the album and find out more about that, you can just look on, on my homepage and Social media and stuff. There will be information up about that. A lot of the normal members of the riffers are playing. Uh, we got a couple special guests coming in. Gordon Al from New York is going to be down oh, here to play trumpet, and William Ledbetter will be oh, down great. from DC, uh, play bass. He's played with us a lot before he he moved up there to join the. Navy Commodores. So.
0: And if someone was going to review the album, what kind of things might they say? Although you just said you're still working on the title, so maybe we're not at the review stage, but can you give us a sense of the thought process and the through lines that tie the album together or what you're hoping to accomplish?
1: So I think one thing that might be different about this compared to my previous albums is that there will be some brand new tunes and some originals on there and This is maybe not definite, but sort of toying with the idea of um, as kind of a collaborative element. If we do a a Kickstarter or something like that uh, is even maybe letting somebody name one of the songs or maybe uh, commission a couple things that we record. So in the past we've done I've had pretty much all original material and wow. I want to have on my, on my albums. And so this time we want to have some of that, but also maybe some existing songs that aren't as well-known or, or aren't as well-recorded, or maybe there is a recording that people know, but the fidelity is kind of low, just kind of a mix of original and not original material.
0: I know with swing events that bands have to keep a few factors in mind, like the length that needs to be, you know, three and a half minutes or so, then BPM. Are there some songs that you wish that you could just throw out there and see what happens? And maybe you already do that where it is super long or has some things that stretch the idea of a swing song.
1: Sure. I mean, going back to um, what dances were like and what bands actually played like, as opposed to the way they recorded in the 30s and 40s, The song length is totally because of the technological limitations at the Mm -hmm. time. You could only fit three to three and a half minutes on one side of a 78 uh, record. And so that has filtered down through pop music through the decades, even Mm -hmm. to today. It's all an artifact of that. And so the modern current swing dance community is used to dancing to songs that long because that's what you DJ, because that's Mm -hmm. what all the recordings are. But... Back in the day, bands could certainly play longer than that, stretch it out. Maybe they had an alternate arrangement than what they played in the studio. I really appreciate the the very concise and succinct and and tight uh, three-and-a-half-minute arrangement that says all it needs to say, mm-hmm. and then it's done, and then you're on to a new song. I I kind of like that, but it wouldn't be bad. It might be fun to to sort of push the boundaries a little bit and make dancers have yeah. to stretch out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it would be cool to play a waltz at a swing dance and mm. see what happens.
0: Micah, a dancer, just asked the swing group, does anyone want to waltz in Carborough uh, tonight? <laughs> so I think there would be, you know, some appetite for that.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I feel like we're pretty good at this point at at honing in on what is, is comfy for, for dancers. And so I don't think you need to do it too much and, and really just... Uh, go off the rails but yeah. <laughs> yeah i think a couple couple songs here and there that kind of stretched people would be good
0: and I talked with Laura Winley a little bit about this in terms of having a platform in the swing dance community where there's a highly engaged audience who also wants to talk about whatever issues that are happening. And of course, dancing in a historically Black dance, there's a lot of conversation about race and intersectionality of the issues that come across with that. And I was curious how you think about your positioning in that kind of space and how you think about platform, if the history is the big contribution that you provide as well as, you know, excellent music and in helping people appreciate that. Yeah. How do you think of your platform and voice in this context?
1: Especially as I've become more active as a band leader or even um, had some of a hand in organizing, I think it's it's even more important to consider all of those things. The history of the music and the people that innovated and, and created it is incredibly important. And it's incredibly important to acknowledge that today and make sure that we have a diverse set of people on stage and um, are representing all the types of viewpoints and making everybody feel welcome. So certainly as a band leader and organizer, you want to acknowledge the history and acknowledge the role everybody plays, but also consider those things when you're you know, hiring people, right? It's easy to uh, just hire the people you already know or who are already in the the scene right Mm -hmm. um and it's important to sort of take a moment and step outside of that and and make sure that um, everybody's being considered and communities who especially have a historical connection to the music Mm -hmm. are also being considered
0: and where do you get your historical context from what are some things you've turned to is it professors or how do you kind of stay fresh with all of the things that would be important to know as a band leader
1: when you study the music uh, and and learn the recordings, and then you're like, okay, well, who was playing on this? And then you go look that up. Then that immediately leads you into you know down pads of like looking up. Okay, well, who was this person, and who else did they play with, and kind of what what's their story? And so I think that brings some things up. I went to grad school at North Carolina Central, and um, some of the. Professors there, I think, um, helped with that a lot. Robert Trowers is um, one of the professors at uh, NCCU, and he, is, he knows a lot about the history and is can recommend a bunch of books uh, on those subjects. So I'd say that that was very helpful at the time for me. And yeah, just I think being being open to always learning more.
0: Well, your calendar for the rest of the year is already very robust, but I was curious what other goals you might have for the riffers and is going more international, one of them, now that it feels safe to travel to far and wide places. Anything else you might be thinking about for the band?
1: The recording is kind of a big goalpost right now. That would be the first full-length album under the name of the rivers Oh really okay Right so forged in rhythm my first album was kind of the what sort of created that lineup and i would say our CD release show is kind of the kind of the first actual riffers gig mm-hmm. in a way. The band doesn't have any full length album under that name, so I think that will be a good thing. And uh, it's kind of a big year. We're playing in um, a few different events. From we played in California at at uh, Cal Bow, and uh, we're going to be up at Bow Week in New York coming up. So certainly wouldn't say no to an international <laughs> gig if it came up. Yeah. There are a lot of challenges in making that happen, especially mm-hmm. with. A large band and uh even as we're getting a little bit maybe more comfortable with travel not gonna hold my breath but i wouldn't say wouldn't say no
0: (laughs) well when talking with laura about your latest album project she was talking about the fan base in italy and so it seems like at least in italy there could be some invitations coming
1: right uh if you go and and you look you can look in on on spotify where people are streaming and it's pretty pretty mind-blowing sometimes um even even if it's not like an enormous number of people total, mm. right, it's all over because there's not any any reason somebody can't stream it on the other side of the world. And mm. so every once in a while, I'll see some uh, some dance group doing a choreography or something to a song that we recorded uh, in South Korea or Europe or something. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Very cool. And then I'd also like to do a shameless plug for Watson Ward's event coming up for the Kentucky Derby party on Saturday, May 6th, their viewing party as well as your music. And I'm excited to dance with you for um, some of those songs. So will you share a little bit about that performance?
1: That'll be uh, the Riffers and we've got uh, Laura Winley as a um, guest vocalist with us. And so that'll be the uh, standard uh, three horn band. And we'll be playing some old tunes. You know, Watson Ward is kind of a speakeasy vibe for the, for the venue. And so we kind of try to fit into that and just play good old party music. Yes.
0: And this is also a call to the Triangle Scene or anyone who wants to visit because there'll be a dance floor this time and I know they want to get the dancers out so please come dance and listen to Kenan's great music. Um, anything else you'd like to share with the Six Count community or the Swing Dance community writ large? I can't
1: think of anything. It's easy to um, to stay up to date with uh, what the Riffers are doing if you follow us on um, our social media. That's my There's my shameless plug. <laughs> follow Kenan McKenzie Music on uh, F- Facebook and Instagram and uh, just it's easy to find my website too but thank you so much for for doing this and having me over for, for an interview it's been really fun.
0: Thank you so much it's been so wonderful to chat with you and and thank you for letting us use your music for Six Count too. It's fun to be able to have that intro and um, to just enjoy your music on the series.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool to hear that. Yeah, thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Six Count. I'm Zara Wild. You can let us know what you thought of the episode or recommend a guest by emailing us at sixcountpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or by finding us on Twitter or Instagram at sixcountpodcast. If you'd like to support our work in telling the story of jazz in Durham, you can make a gift to the show by following the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening.